My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 37 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, we've got head coach Rene Borg of Running Coach Ireland coming up with a fascinating chat on RPE training and the importance of combining both aerobic and anaerobic work in the early stages of a new training block. And we've got multiple podium winner across all the big trail running races in Ireland, Julie McNamee on the show as our special guest this week as well. So everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. Good to be with you again, everyone, guys. Hope the legs are all feeling good, whether you're in full training mode at the moment or maybe even a transition period from the summer and early autumn racing into a new block over the winter. Hopefully, guys, energy levels are good and the injuries are all being kept at bay. A big congratulations to all the mountain and trail runners who completed the Wicklow Way since our last show out. What a fantastic race that is. And well done to Robert Janskowski, a very impressive winner in the men's race with a one-hour margin over Adrian Hennessy in second and in the ladies race as we'll hear now shortly it was a great battle between second and first all the way through the 127 kilometers with Irish international Claire Keeley taking the win by 17 minutes over our special guest interview this week Julie McNamee before we call in Rennie everybody as always a big shout out to our patrons who month after month support the show thanks a mil guys and a special thank you to John Lawrence who became a patron of the podcast since our last episode if anybody would like to help out it would be very much appreciated guys the price of a gel the price of a gel or two a month three euros to six euros will help keep us going over the winter and you can get more information on patreon.com trail running ireland podcast we will never put up paywalls for our content as i always say as our aim is to grow the sport of trail and mountain running in ireland in a fun and free way for our listeners so back to business guys and let's call in our coaching guru and see what training gems we can uncover this week. Have a good one, everyone. Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rene, a real pleasure, as always, to have you on the show. How are you keeping, mate? Yeah, not, not so bad, Owen. Yeah, I'm good health. And we have a very cool, um, very cool but clear few days here. A bit of kind of moisture in the air, but um, that it's, it's, it's not too, too bad as transitions to autumn weather goes. And you just have, if there is anyone listening, just have to excuse if they do hear a jack saw or anything like that. Uh, my house has been swarmed with builders today. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I hope they won't be making so much noise that it impacts anyone's listening. But uh, just, just so you know, at the moment, it's all quiet. But 10 minutes well, ago. I've got a baby about two rooms down, Rennie, as well, sleeping her morning nap. So hopefully between the two of us, we'll get through the next 20 minutes. Okay. Rennie, we've a really fascinating chat lined up for today. Um, you mentioned that you would like to talk today about RPE and what that means in training, as opposed to only using HR, only using pacing as your main metrics for training. So maybe just to kick off the show, give us your own definition of RPE and why it's so important or why it could be potentially such a good way of basing our training around. Yeah, so it's it's rate of perceived exertion is what it stands for. Some people uh, say rate of perceived effort uh, and both will do. 
Uh, but basically, it's um, it's a subjective measure of effort that was designed by a guy called Gunnar Borg. I think we mentioned him before, and as I say, it was no relation to me. Um, he was a Swede, I believe. But he it, it's, it was a protocol that was designed um, for people to be able to describe to researchers and people in clinical settings what level of effort was involved in performing a certain task you know so it was often you would find it used uh, today you would find it used in lab tests which we'll come back to um but more traditionally you would find you know people would be asked to do certain tests maybe to check the stress um you know a hard hard stress test and things like that and they would try and describe to the researchers how hard did this feel you know and his original scale was a bit funny it was from six to 20. Um, and th the reason for that was they were roughly saying that the, the number that people were describing, well, if you multiplied that by 10, you would have roughly the heart rate, you know? So if you say, oh, it's a six out of 20, your heart rate would probably be at 60. If you said 10 out of 20, your heart rate would be about a hundred. That was very, very loose conversion though. And then over time, um, this scale evolved into a one to 10 scale because most of us find that a little bit more intuitive. Um, but what's important about the scale is that it tries to use words um, that is attached to each intensity. Uh, so, you know, we know very easy, easy, um, uh, extremely hard and so on. And, you know, because the scale is so old, you can find versions on the Internet with different words for the different intensities. Um, and it doesn't really matter so much because obviously some people in other countries use RP as well, you know, so they have to translate it and, and not everything translates so neatly. So it's always about finding uh, when you use RP, it's just about understanding that you are trying to figure out what an exercise feels like from a person's perspective, not from the watch's perspective, for instance, you know, because we have our heart rate and our power and everything else. Um, and you could say, well, why is that important in today, you know, in a modern world where we have all these digital measurements? And there's two good answers, I think, to that. The first is that none of these metrics can capture everything that's actually going on. And, you know, the heart rate that you see on your watch, first of all, is not always accurate. But secondly, it, it's showing a very particular reaction that your body has. And there are factors that the heart rate does not account for. And it would be the same if we talk about pace and power or anything else they come up with. The second reason is that we don't know everything about the human body, right? You know, everyone who lives in, at any time in history, they think that their science is, has nearly got the whole answer to everything. But if we imagine 100 years from now, two people sitting on whatever is a podcast in 100 years' time, they're going to laugh at the conversations we have about science, right? They're going to think we were in the stone ages, that our science was a bunch of superstition. At the same time, while I say that, some of the things we're talking about will be the same because they, they won't have changed. You know, the way we train uh, will probably still look more or less the same. There'll be some differences. But the understanding of exactly why things happen inside the body and what biology really how it really works how what's the nature of reality and all these big questions we, we're only starting to skim the surface so that means if you only rely um, on the numbers that can be produced right now by the measurement techniques you have you're always going to miss something there's going to be some kind of gap but your personal experience of how something is <laughs> that's not up to debate you know if you ask a person in 100 years time how does this feel for you and you show him a 10-point scale, he's going to give you the same answers. 
Yeah, it's true. And I know that in UTMB this year in Chamonix, Rene, I had a conversation with Ian Keith about this topic. And Ian, of course, will Ian, of course, we all know very, very well. He was the first Irish finisher in UTMB in Chamonix this year. He had that great win in Oman, for example, as well, in the UTMB Oman race two years ago now. One of Ireland's greatest ever trail and ultra runners. And he was saying that over the years, he's got to the stage now where he uses RPE as his key metric for training and most of that of course is all run easy probably from what you're saying Rennie there easy would be maybe what you know a five or six out of ten exertion level yeah so the as you say for for an easy run there's there's slightly different guidelines and different systems you know but um we we tend we tend to say in our system that two to four for instance out of ten and we have descriptions that link to that 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 would be uh, what we call zone two Okay. And one to three would be zone one. And you'll notice there's an overlap. This confuses a lot of people. So maybe just while I brought this up, let, let me explain why uh, when, when, when most coaches prescribe um, and uh, raising a perceived effort for an exercise for you, why is there a range? Why not just a number such as, you know, five or six? The reason with it is that RPE is not really static. Uh, and the reason is that the longer you do anything, the harder it feels. Yeah. You know, and that's just common sense. You know, even if a pace is, is easy for you and your breathing is easy, if you do it for three hours, subjectively to your psychology, it's going to feel harder. And this is just because you're doing it for so long. You know, so maybe you're bored, maybe you're getting tired, maybe you're getting hungry, whatever it is. Um, so it's important to understand that, that. And that's why, for instance, for an interval session, you might see seven to nine or seven to 10. And that's because for the first few uh, intervals, let's say the first three, four hundreds, whatever it is, um, it feels like seven. But the last mm. ones will feel like 10. Um, and that's okay. It's not meant to be one number. So as long as people understand that, um, they, they can start to really make the most of this tool. Um, but I think the, the key in what you mentioned about Owen's story, uh, and in terms of all the metrics that we obviously use, you know, so we use heart rate and all that um, to look at and to try and understand what our athletes are doing. But at the same time, we use RP. is because RP, in a way, is your body's metric and the body is more sophisticated than your watch, you know, <laughs> by some degrees of uh, some multitudes. So um, we have to trust that, that metric as well. And really what we are trying to do with using heart rate, especially is we're going to, we are helping people tune back into the body, not detach people's feelings from the body. Um, and this is, you, I think we've mentioned this before probably, but the, when people come to us, a lot of the time um, they're, they've slightly lost touch with what is the, what's easy and steady. Because uh, as we've mentioned, it's very hard sometimes to distinguish a medium intensity with an easy intensity because there's a certain area where they're quite close. Mm. And, if you, and the heart rates, once you understand heart rate zones, you know, and you do lab tests and analysis and things like that, you can actually show people, look, here at this heart rate, there's actually a change happening for you. Now go out and try and train at this heart rate and get familiar with this intensity. And that means get familiar with the RP. And over time, then you can evolve into, you know, a fully mature and experienced athlete uh, like Owen, who says, I trust now 100% the RP because I know exactly what every zone feels like. I don't need to watch anymore. That's the ideal. You know, that's, if we could get everyone there, it would be fantastic. But often you just need that little bit of technology to guide you in the early days. 
Yeah, I can think of one very good example, Rene, where, you know, sometimes the, the heart rate numbers can misguide us a little bit. Say, for example, on a typical maybe 60, 70 minute run, it's a hot day. And as you progress through the run, the temperature gets higher, your body temperature gets higher. And what I've noticed a lot is your heart rate gets higher as well even though you're feeling great. So maybe, you know, at 30 minutes, your heart rate in your zone two is maybe one, four, five, say. But then by minute 50, you're at one, five, seven or one, five, eight, 12 beats higher, but yet you're still feeling really, really good. So it's not that you've drifted more towards your, your threshold limits. It's just that your body is overheating. It's getting a little bit dehydrated, but you're still feeling good. And it's still okay to be running at 156 or 157 and, and heading up even out of zone three, but you're still feeling very comfortable. Maybe one, that's one little example of how, you know, not to always be a slave to the numbers on the watch. Yeah, what we do to help people is the charts that we provide, and you could find similar charts everywhere and books and, and online, is we, for each intensity of RP, there's a description of what the breathing would be like and what talking would be like. So a good example is, is three. You know, it says breathing would be normal. Um, I would actually go a little bit deeper uh, or more detail and say, well, that's when you can still nose breathe, you know, unless you have blocked sinuses, um, because there, there's so little demand for oxygen. And low demand for oxygen means there's a low demand for energy, right? So that, that means it is low intensity uh, for sure. And you're fully fat combusting. And, and that means you know exactly what zone you're in if you're nose breathing. There's no doubt. You don't need to look at your watch uh, if you're trying to be in the fat burning zone. Um, talking, a good example here is, um, is, the, is, is RP6, which we use to describe um, the top end of zone three, which is just about as you move from medium or moderate into hard. So at that, your breathing is noticeable. That's the word that's used. Okay. Um, and, and then talking is somewhat difficult. That would be a way. That, so that, that's one way that it would help people notice what's actually, if, if, I was, if I'm talking to the people next to me, but I, I actually kind of have to <gasps> every now and again, that means I'm on a long run with my bodies, but I'm actually in zone three now. I can see that from my talking and breathing pattern. Is that what I want today? You know, and you can make those decisions. And then when you get into hard, just as you cross into what we call zone four, the breathing changes to deep, but steady, you know, and that's something people will recognize because it's, you know, but you can control it, but now you really have to take in some air. And that's because you're nearing what we call VO2 max, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. That means you need to use your full lung capacity. And then when you cross past that, and uh, you get in, in what is, I think it's in seven, uh, you get to deep and somewhat rapid. And then eventually in eight, you get to deep and rapid. That's, and then eventually, you know, it's nearly hyperventilation. And talking in those intensities would be described as very difficult, extremely difficult. You know, and I think actually in 10, they say, you know, the, you describe it as, oh, and I won't say the next word, you know, that's, that's not how it would be. <laughs> and breathing is totally breathless. Like, I, I think there's the point where you're about to bunk and you're about to stop training and stop racing. You mentioned there a moment ago, Rene, VO2 max. And that was also something that we wanted to look at today is the interrelationship between the different physiological markers that we've mentioned today, VO2 max, aerobic, threshold running and so on. And how that when we're at our different stages in training and last week we spoke about maybe going back to a base period now and getting lots of mileage in. But it's very important not just not just to focus on aerobic, that it is OK 
to do VO2 max running, to, to, to mix that up with our aerobic base training as well, as well. Because as I think you're going to explain, that they're actually, they're all very much linked and one can't develop without the other. Yes, so I think one thing we were discussing yesterday was that days, um, there's a little bit of an oversimplification that we use a lot where we say, well, um, easy training is aerobic and high intensity training is anaerobic and, and we make them the same, uh, you know, so that they overlap 100% those terms. And that means whenever we say we're going to focus on easy training, that means it should be aerobic. And whenever it's hard training, it should be anaerobic. And that it's not actually a correct way to, to look at it. The terms that you're using, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, it's something you would have to explain a lot of debt, or debt you know, the VO2 max, lactate threshold. Um, but today, a lot of us are very, very familiar with it because nearly every watch and a tool that you upload your runs to will try and give you an estimate of what it calls VO2 max. Um, but a good way to try and get a primer and to really understand why is it worth talking about these concepts and how do they relate to training is look at the lactate threshold um, first of all, because that's what most people are familiar with. The lactate threshold is a point where the two energy, the two main energy systems that the body has, which is the aerobic and the anaerobic, are in equilibrium. And what that means is that the aerobic system uh, can take up and remove all of the lactate that is spit out by the anaerobic system. So that's the point where these two are in a kind of a balance in a tug of war. Those two systems, how strong they are in your body, they're two engines in a way, can be measured by VO2 max. So VO2 max is actually your aerobic engine. It's the size of that. It's how much oxygen you can take in because how much oxygen you take into your body determines how much energy is produced. And all of that energy is produced aerobically because it's produced with the oxygen, right? So if you can take in four liters, you can produce less energy than someone who can take in five. Now, someone who weighs 100 kilos and takes in five liters will have less than someone who weighs 70 and takes in four because he has a bigger body. And that's how you calculate VO2 max. So to have a good VO2 max, <clears throat> you need to be light and you need to be able to take in a lot of oxygen. So that dictates, <clears throat> first of all, the strength of that, um, of that engine. The other side is not so well known uh, because that's how much lactate can your body produce using the glucose or the sugar that's in your body. Um, and that is anaerobic. That is what's actually the anaerobic engine because there is no oxygen needed to make that happen. The problem with that engine is that it is very quick and it produces a lot of power, but it doesn't produce a lot of energy for the investment that you put into it. That's kind of a simplified way of putting it. But it's basically a system that's meant to be used when you need a lot of energy and you need it really quickly. So the problem is that both of them, these two engines, the more you run them, the more they spit out, the stronger they get. So there is um, a particular theory now that it's, it measures this anaerobic engine by something they call VLA max. So it's kind of the opposite of VO2 max. It's, it's how much lactate you can produce. If you can produce too much lactate, so that means that engine is very aggressive in you. Mm. 
that actually makes you worse because it gives more work for the the engine that runs on oxygen, right? It has to clear out all that. So what there's some people now, some coaches and scientists who think that most of the deviation in performance that you see in trained athletes across a season is actually from how weak or strong is the anaerobic engine. Wow. Okay. As opposed really, to what we've been talking about a lot and what we'll see in a lot of running training literature of the importance of a big aerobic base, as in your eight to 10 weeks of easy, slow running, building up the mileage, building up that big, massive aerobic engine that we've spoken about, that we actually need then to tap into our anaerobic engine, if you like, as well, just so the aerobic engine isn't developed in isolation. Because from what you're saying there, you need the two working together. Now, that might not necessarily mean that, you know, in week two of our new season, we need to be doing uh, six by 1K or, you know, 10 by three minute hill reps. Because I think as well, at the end of the day, we just wouldn't be quite ready for that in week one or week two. But what we can do to stimulate that VO2 max area is it's much shorter intervals and sprints and maybe 15 20 second reps so that we're not at the risk of injury but we're stimulating that other engine enough so it's working in unison with our big aerobic engine yeah the problem is that as i said the just because something is high intensity doesn't mean that it is very anaerobic necessarily it does mean and this should be clear it does mean that there will be a contribution from the anaerobic system Right. So if you run at a high intensity, <clears throat> some of the sugar will be burnt. And that means you will be stimulating that expensive engine a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that can be a problem. If you do too much of that at the wrong time, you could yeah. be creating the situation I just outlined that actually you're creating more work for your aerobic system and all your uh, race paces drop as a result of that. But sometimes you have to do what's, what used to be called VO2 max training. So that means the zone where you're taking in as much oxygen as you can. And the reason for that is that the size of your aerobic engine is partly determined by your ability to take in oxygen. And if you have not trained that for some reason, or the tests that you, you do with your watcher in a lab or with a coach, um, they show that actually your VO2 max is quite low. Well, if your VO2 max is quite low, it means that you can't take in a lot of oxygen. That means your aerobic engine is quite small. Um, and that means that it can't take up a lot of slack for you. And in those cases, as soon as we feel an athlete is ready in terms of the legs, uh, you know, the legs can take a little bit of faster running. You will often include these easy sessions uh, that are VO2 pace, which is kind of, I say, 3K, 5K intensity. Uh, like 30, 30, you know, 30 seconds at this intensity, 30 seconds jogging. Um, and you could do that for 10 minutes if you were a beginner. And, and that is often done earlier than you would expect, because first of all, you have, you usually have 10% that you can play with anyway. You know, we've outlined that a few times. So even when you're doing base training, you can do 10% at higher intensities. But if it is a real bottleneck for you and how much oxygen you can take in and your system can, can take in, you need to get that up and running early enough because otherwise, as we, I think we outlined this as well, maybe last year, you just have this tiny little aerobic engine. Um, it can't take in a lot and it can't produce a lot of energy. 
And all you're doing with your endurance training is to try and get the most out of that, you know? So it's trying to get the most out of a little car, you know, really tuning everything in that little car to try and get some more speed out of it instead of upgrading to a bigger one. Okay, Rene, there's so much there, isn't there? I mean, there's so much new information, there's so much complexity <laughs> to it. And as you can hear, Rene here, as I'm sure the listeners can hear as well, I've got my own little athlete here who, who's wearing to go to the kitchen for a bit of breakfast. So Rene, we might leave it there for today and maybe we could pick it up again and get into a bit more detail in our next show because what you're saying there, it's it's fascinating. And, and I know Canova, the Italian coach, he's been working in this way for for decades now hasn't he of introducing that faster paced stuff very early on in the season so that area isn't ignored as opposed to a lot of traditional coaches who are more just in terms work in terms of big base mileage at the start of the season so Renny there's there's lots to explore there isn't there yeah there's a lot to explore and as the example you mentioned because you wrote a training manual Canova for the IAF and not the IAAF the IAF and um, in that you outlined how they train the Kenyan marathoners and you need to remember the background these athletes have right they're not people walking straight off the street with no running in the legs uh, but early in the marathon program they do this session called 10 times 15 seconds hill sprints up a 10 to 15% slope with long recovery you know 2 or 3 minutes and that is, that is also a VO2 max workout, right? And the yeah. reason for that was to just maximize the size of that engine. And then we can do all the long, steady work that is specific to the marathon. So, so that approach is sneaking in more and more. Um, but, but the key really for the listener is to understand that um, it's just about these three variables are important to find a way to measure if you can, if you're serious about your training, and to figure out which one you should focus on now and which one you're ready to work on right now. You know, and, and this is where testing and coaching and everything else can come in, because once you learn that process and how it works, um, you will know how to pick to piece it together and how to time it for very different events. Okay. Well, listen, Rene, thanks a million for that. And if anybody does want to get in touch with Rene, you can get him on Facebook, on Instagram as well, on his website too, runningcoach.e. And I know, Rene, over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be an exciting time for the coaching company because you have some new software and some new technology coming along that will really be able to dig deep in terms of all these different metrics and help improve all the different zones that we've been talking about today with our athletes. So maybe in our next show, we might touch on what you have up your sleeve there as well. And in the meantime, Rennie, I'll let you get back to the builders. I'll get back to the little lady here and we'll talk again soon. All right. Good luck with it, Owen. For our feature interview this week, it's a real pleasure to welcome a mother of four boys, a frontline worker working shifts as a nurse, a podium finisher in Eco Trail Wicklow, the Wicklow Way, the Kerryway Ultra, the Seven Sisters, and the Donegal Wild Atlantic Marathon. And I'm sure there's a few other races in there as well. One of the strongest runners out there, both mentally and physically. Julie, Julie McNamee, you're very, very welcome to the show. A real pleasure to have you on. And Julie, the first question that I'd like to ask you is, is how has the body recovered after another podium result, another tremendous physical effort in the Wicklow way with second place in 17 hours, 26 minutes after 127 kilometers 
of hard competitive racing because that was a battle that you had in the Wicklow way, along with the Eco Trail Wicklow a couple of weeks ago, which we'll get to as well. But how have you recovered since the Wicklow way, Julie, first of all? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Just, um, yeah, I'm recovering fine, actually. Um, I just kind of took it easy early on in the week, and um, I, I got around the lake this morning there, my wee local run, so I was happy to get to do that. Um, yeah, I suppose I just was taking it easy. I was, I just made sure I was off a few days, kind of before and after. And... Um, yeah, I just kind of went for the walks on the beach um, Monday and Tuesday and um, did a wee run then on Wednesday. I was on nights then for three nights and uh, that kind of, yeah, so just kind of build it up over the week, you know, so doing all right. Yeah, Yeah. so do you have like a set routine, Judy, after these big ultra races that you do and that you do so well in? Like, do you maybe not run for two, three days, do you just listen to the body or do you have a fixed program that you use every time? Uh, oh, yeah, no, just, I suppose, I like to get to the beach. There's a lovely beach here at home. Okay. And uh, I like to walk uh, the beach there. And there's a wee forest trail. And I used to try and get in for a swim. I went up to Dunleary on Sunday and had a wee walk at the pier. And we got into Sandy Cove uh, Beach there just for a wee swim. I always like to try and get to the water anyway. And... Okay. Um, yeah, and then I just, I suppose I just wanted to do a wee run then on Wednesday, and uh, I don't think I did anything on Thursday, and yeah, um, just kind of build it up, kind of over the week, and I was on, like, it's about 15k around the lake here, and uh, there's a few wee extra wee trails and that, so I just enjoyed that there this morning, you know, and uh, felt grand now, so. Yeah, are there um, any little nutritional tricks that you do post-race, oh. or... Yeah, nothing um, special. Well, just like loads of water, I suppose. And uh, what else? Just try and get some sort of protein in. I just kind of, kind of takes a few days for my appetite to come back. You know, I don't really okay. feel like it much the first couple of days. But um, yeah, I suppose after about two or three days, I wasn't, I was doing all right. Like, uh, yeah. Guys. And oh. uh, just sleep, I suppose, the other thing, you know, just kind of, kind of early nights and taking it easy, just. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So n- no rocket science, Judy. Really, just simple <laughs> stuff. Get yeah. get good sleep in, and don't rush back running, and just eat well. Lots of protein, as yeah. you said. And, and if you're lucky enough to get into the seawater, yeah. that that's magic medicine itself, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah. Even just for a few minutes, like, and it is getting colder now, but it's still lovely. You know, it's still really nice. Yeah. Um, I don't um, go in for long though. Like, you know, um, just a few minutes is it enough for me? But yeah. uh, I did a bit of yoga as well during the week. I enjoyed that now too. Just kind of helped a bit, I think. But um, yeah. that was pretty much it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And tell us, Julie, about the Wicklow Way race itself. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful race. It really is. And I remember when I saw you come second in the Eco Trail in Wicklow in the 80K race a couple of weeks back. Um, I could see that, yeah, you were, you were happy in one way to come second in another podium. But I could see the competitor in you as well. And I could see that you were gutted that you didn't get the victory that day. I could see you nearly grinding your teeth that the victory just got away from you. So with the Wicklow way, Judy, I'm dying to to hear, was there a deliberate intent on your part to go out for that win? Because from what I saw on the live tracker, you went out fast, you went out strong. And I could see that you were fighting for a victory that day. 
Yeah, I suppose it was my last race of the year. And, uh, you know, I suppose with just been three weeks after Eco Trail, I didn't really know what my legs were going to think about it. And um, But I was feeling good, like, at the start. And um, I knew the first section was kind of easier and more runnable and more road and that. And um, so I just decided to go for it then and kind of get a wee bit ahead. Um, and then, like, I suppose my heart rate and that was looking all right. So I just kind of kept going with it. And, um, yeah, uh, I suppose back then it was... I suppose 11 hours of darkness and that. Um, so it was kind of hard to know where it was. I, it wasn't great. Like I kind of got lost a few times. And uh, but um yeah, I just kind of suppose I got a bit tired then. And um so it was near the I was doing all right up to I think it was about 110 kilometers or so. And Claire then, who who won, she passed me. Oh, I took a couple of wrong turns there. And uh, I knew she was kind of gaining anyway, you know, and sure she may have passed me, but once she like once I took two, I think I went around another extra couple of kilometers or something, and uh, so then she passed me at that stage, and uh, I was getting tired anyway, you know. But um, yeah, sure, I tried anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I did. I like go back and try it in, with a bit more daylight, and yeah, even just for the scenery, you know, just to know where it was, like. Yeah, sure. but, uh, and and you know, like when you're making those wrong turns and you're at the front end of a race, like how do you handle that? I mean, do do you panic or are you able oh, I to was, I, calm? I was a bit pissed off to be fair enough. Now, but <laughs> I did kind of, you know, I was like, right, sure, just keep going anyway. And you know, yeah, I kind of yeah, sure. Do you know? what can you do like just happen yeah. So, yeah yeah yeah. I know she's a very good runner Claire as well she I think she uh, represented Ireland I think a couple of years ago in the trail running world championships and do uh, you like after another you know second in the Wicklow way and if anybody has followed your results your, your running career over the last couple of years it's it's non-stop podium in, in all the top trail running races around the country so I'm just interested in in how you view yourself, Judy, at the moment. Like from anybody looking in on the outside, you go, wow, Judy, yeah, she's one of the country's top trail runners. She's consistently on the podiums. And do you think that? Do you, do you approach your training like an elite runner, like one of the best trail runners? Or are you just happy to be out there in nature? I can see that you love running in the trails, that you love running in mountains and forests. So how's, how, how do you approach your training, Judy, at the moment? What, what type of mindset do, do you have? Uh, see, I don't know. I just feel, I suppose, fortunate that I can get out, you know. And, um, like, here, like, you know, I suppose some of the, like, I'm 48 now. Some of the girls are, like, half my age or at least 10 years younger than me, you know. And I suppose I'm not exactly, I'm not, I wouldn't be why I'm naturally fast. Like, I've never really done, like, a 5K under 21 minutes or whatever. Um, and as well as that, I'm on the road here a lot. There's not so much trail around here. Okay. Usually I'll just go out from the house. So I kind of feel like, you know, I'm, and most of the trail running I'm doing, a lot of it's actually when I'm in a race, you know, it's not really when I'm training. Yeah. Okay. But, um, so I like, I, I have kind of gone, it's about an hour to get to like Slave Lake or Aragal or, or Muckish or whatever. I have kind of gone there a few times this year, but I suppose just with time management and that, and you know, to try and fit in around the family and that. Um, usually, I just open the door and run. You know, whatever's here. Uh, you know, around the house, kind of thing. Yeah. 
And um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm, I'm kind of missing that, you know, that I'm not actually training on the trail, you know. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that you're 48 there, Julie, but from what I've seen over the last couple of years, you're actually getting better and stronger, you know, oh, your trajectory like is going up. Yeah, like I feel really fed at the minute. And that, you know, I was, that's what it's all about for me too, you know, just to stay healthy and fit and just to be able to do it, you know. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And I suppose any of the wins are a bonus and or like whatever it is, first, second, third or over 40 or whatever it is, you know. Um, a lot of them are, are just are coming, you know, and I wouldn't be going out kind of looking to win or whatever, but maybe I'm changing a wee bit, you know, this year. Yeah, sure. You know, like maybe coming up to, you know, um, the, we were all a bit ill there in August. Like we just had it when well, we had like a positive COVID screen and um, okay, I was coughing and a bit of a temperature and that. And we were fine after a few days. Like I was back to work after mm. my 10 days. But I kind of was like, right, I have to do everything I can now to get back to full health, you know. So yeah. I really kind of thought, right, I have just what can I do here now? And, uh, you know, I. I, I suppose things went well then, and then by the time Ecotrail, because this was on a few weeks later, by the time Ecotrail came around, I actually felt better than I had done all year. So that was good. And then I thought, right, for sure, maybe you need to kind of go for it a bit more, you know. Where like yeah. the last time I did Ecotrail, I was, the kids were there and I was chatting to the kids and I was taking photos and I was chatting to people and I wasn't thinking at all about winning. I think I was around fifth at halfway and then kind of just ended up kind of third and then I was second and then I could see Aoife Mondo who had heard about just ahead and I said oh sure I'll not beat her like but I think I was only a couple of minutes or something in the end of yeah, so yeah, like yeah I mean but I mean yeah I probably yeah I probably have changed probably my mindset has changed a wee bit you know I wouldn't yeah. have thought even for the for the Whitlow way I was doing it to get you know, the points to maybe get UTMB because I had done the Kerry way last year yeah. and I was doing it for that. And, you know, I thought, well, sure, the main thing is to get the points and not, you know, not get a DNF or whatever. But then going into it, I thought, well, sure, you may as well just see what happens, you know. Yeah. And Julie, did you, oh, did you always know that you had this incredible endurance strength? Or when was the moment that you realised, oh, well, I can actually, you know, just keep on going here. I'm, I'm quite good at this running thing. You mentioned to me just during the week, just while we were talking by, by text message, about the 24-hour race. And that was one of the key moments when you realised oh, that. Yeah. Um, could, could you tell us tell us about that story again? Because that's that's an incredible event. Uh, and what yeah, you did in that so, event was incredible. Yeah, like, um, I suppose I had done a marathon in 2014 and then another one in 2016. I kind of had aims to get on to the four hours and I got that. And then um, I started doing a few adventure races and that. And um, I got interested then just in the race. It's like a multi um endurance race is like um so it starts off with like a half, half marathon and then there's like a 10k kayak and then there's a cycle 98 98k or something like that and then there's a muckish mountain run and then another cycle 68 cycle and then there's a marathon at the end and um like i i hadn't done much cycling at all but i knew i could run and uh but anyway with that event it all went fine like but at the end whenever i got to get into my running gear and get on to do the run it was going through Glen Bay and that 
And it started out around nine or something at night. And um, we've been going from about five, I think, that morning. But um, I was just so happy to get my running gear on, you know. And uh, I just loved the run through the to the National Park in the night. And I just kind of, I knew there was just something really special about being able to do that. Like, and, yeah. um, and I just felt really good. And um, yeah, I suppose like a lot of the cyclists were kind of, they weren't running. So, you know, they were maybe more into cycling, you know, so it was kind of tipping along pretty good. And um, yeah, I did end up getting third place with about five kilometers. I kind of ran in and uh, finished about 21 hours, I think it was. But it was only, it was that event that I kind of realized that I could go for a long period and also that I wasn't into cycling. I really have a cycle much at all after yeah. that. But I went on then to do a few other events then that year, that just the Donegal by the Atlantic Marathon and then the Seven Sisters Marathon that was on a couple of weeks yeah. after that. And then the Cosby Coast Ultra and that. And then, yeah, just Dublin Marathon then that year. So I did loads that year. But I suppose yeah. it was that it was it was that marathon at the end of the race that kind of I realised that you know that I that I could do that you know when you put your mind to it and if you want to do it you can do it if you you know yeah and when you were young Judy when you were a teenager in your twenties way the type of kid and and teenager that always had loads of energy or oh, yeah. know, where do you think this ability to just keep on going and this incredible endurance comes from is it something that nature gave you or you know <laughs> were you one of these kids that were running around country fields when you were younger yeah. and without knowing developing this big aerobic base I don't know really I, like I was never really and I was always into swimming and um I did a lot of traveling I was always into traveling and going new places and it's all to me a lot of this is just about different life experiences and going new places and seeing and running is a great way to see see stuff you know and get out into the nature but I did a lot of, I went traveling a lot in my 20s and did a lot of hiking and camping. And I remember like in New Zealand, I would just go for days in the up, up around the mountains and I didn't think very much about it. And, you know, I just have like can of beans or rice or something and, or, you know, peanut butter sandwiches and just keep going. Like, and it was just yeah. amazing. I was, I was, when I think of that um, Lord of the Rings, when I watched that, I'm like, oh God, that looks exactly where I was up over the mountains in New Zealand. It's so beautiful. But I did a lot of, I did some scuba diving then in Australia. And um, when I came home to Ireland then, I did a lot more scuba diving. And uh, this friend of mine has a, a dive center up in uh, Fort Stewart in, uh, in Antrim and, or in Derry. And, um, the five-star like party centre there and like we used to go up when we lived in Dublin um we used to go up to Bally Castle and do a lot of diving and uh up around there and around Donegal and John's Point and Ardmore and that and we went off I suppose a big social life for that too and so we went off to a lot of uh diving holidays in the Red Sea and that kind of thing and um but anyway that was kind of the 20s and then we moved up to Donegal then I suppose like we had four kids then and that was the end of the dive and you know because it's just you, you're away all day and you're maybe only in the water for a couple of hours you know and uh just so again I started running then because it was like well you, you know it's fine time to just do seven k or 10k or whatever and yeah. um and when, when and, did you start when did you start running again Judy because you mentioned um, it I never really ran, yeah never really ran like if, I think before I left up and maybe around 30 I had done a friend of mine had asked me to do the I was doing about 5k or something and she said about doing the women's running marathon so we were I did that that 
think it was like 55 minutes, I was delighted, like, and then when I went back up to Donegal then, this was after the kids, I did a wee bit after school, their first child, did a wee bit of running, and then um, I think I was probably doing a bit and going to the gym, but not a while lot now. A friend of mine, another friend of mine then, she um, she lost her brother to suicide and she wanted to do the Dublin Marathon um, and she, like she said, said I would do that with her in 2014 and um, you know I had it wasn't in my mind like oh, I must do a marathon but like I decided then that year to do it and uh, I suppose yeah I did that it's just, just over four hours four four nine or something and then a couple of years later I decided right sure I'll go and try and do this on to four hours and then I from then I suppose from 2000. 14 yeah I suppose I've been running but that's not that's not really that long I suppose yeah and yeah. um, Julie yeah. any any tips or any advice that you can pass on because I'm sure there's lots of parents that are listening in that you know maybe are, are struggling to get out on the mountains get out on the trails because they maybe have a couple of kids as well they might you know be working too you mentioned that you work shift work yeah. what is it that that keeps you going and what is it or how do you find the time to get the training in because um, I'm sure sometimes it must be just maybe a little bit overwhelming with, you know, so many things going on in the family, difficult shift work as well, but yet you still do it. And from what I see in the photographs of your running and so on, like you're always smiling in a race as well. I mean, you look like you're having a great time. So maybe anything that you can, you know, help inspire all the other mommies and daddies that are out there um, working hard and trying to get their training in and looking after the kids too. Yeah, I suppose just, you know, to plan, plan your week and, you know, to stick to it and, you know, not to be making excuses and, you know, don't, things don't happen overnight, just kind of start slow and build it up. And if you get an injury, get it sorted. Don't say, oh, I can't run because I'm a sore knee or whatever. And, you know, you'll, even if you don't feel like going out, you'll always feel better after the run um you know get organized in the house like uh, we would cook and we'd have food ready for like three or four days that kind okay. of thing get to bed early i get i do a lot of running early morning or maybe before work or whatever um but yeah how, how do you find the early morning running judy like i'm sure oh, it must I, be I know yeah. this, this year I tried to do it before dropping the kids to school at yeah. eight o'clock. So I was running, say, between half six and eight o'clock and I just couldn't, yeah. I couldn't enjoy it. It was so hard running in the dark. Do, do you yeah. find, you find it works for you okay? Well, if I, you know, if, if I'm, because I do shift work, if I'm off during the week, I'll just go when they go to school so it's bright. But if, okay. I'm, if, I, if I'm working, I'll actually go over to Letterkenny where I work and it's all lit up there. And it's actually really flat as well in the town. Okay, yeah. So it's like you, you can run there pretty easy early morning and it's so quiet. And, I, you know, I, I it's, yeah, it's a nice start to the day, I think, for me. And anyway, I wake naturally early anyway, so... Uh, that works for me yeah I can fit it in because I would because I like I'd be working then like I might get home to half nine like you know that night so and I used to go sometimes in my lunch break but uh, it's just it's just kind of quieter and nicer early morning I definitely I, I prefer the morning time now ah, yeah, I find if you don't get it done early in the morning time, yeah yeah um, yeah it's uh it's tough going isn't it to try and get out in the evening time yeah again. Um, and yeah. you mentioned there as well you ran a couple of Dublin marathons too um three hours 23 2018 three hours 30 2019 and I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on 
the differences between a road marathon and the marathons and the ultras in trail running and just what has the recovery been like for you after running your road marathon and your trail marathons and more and the ultras and do do you find there's a big difference between the two um yeah like i think i've recovered pretty well now this week i haven't done a road marathon in a while now um i would like to do one again and uh kind of go I, I suppose like yeah um yeah I don't know sorry <laughs> um I haven't done but I suppose a road marathon in a while now and I wasn't really going full pelt either I'd like to go yeah. and maybe make a better effort it'd be interesting to see if you were to do a, a yeah, Dublin maybe I was meant to do or... the Rotterdam mark that was on there today I think that uh, that, that was last April I think that was their probably the fourth attempt it was actually on today but yeah sure um sure, sure. but yeah i'd like to maybe even do dublin's great atmosphere too i could maybe like to do dublin marathon again you know yeah because um, i'm dying to just see if you recover as well after your road marathons as you seem to do after the the ultra yeah. um, marathons in the mountains because if yeah. you do that will just mean that you're that you're made of steel julie that you're made <laughs> of different <laughs> different material to the rest of us you know and um yeah i know it would be very interesting to see. Um, Julie, we've mentioned a couple of races, Eco Trail second and the Wicklow Way second as well. I know you did the Donegal Wild Atlantic Marathon. You were second there, Seven Sisters third in 2018 and the Kerry Way Ultra last year third as well. So many great races. Is there anyone that stands out for you? Is there any race that you, you know, it's the first one you put down every year or, or even one race that you just really enjoyed and everything just went perfect on the day? Um, she, I don't know. Um, like I really like the Donegal Wild Atlantic Marathon. It's lovely, you know, in Donegal here, and it's along the coast and finishes in Glencoe Hill and at the beach there. It's really, it's really nice, hilly. And, you know, again, I do a lot of there's plenty of hilly roads around here, and that kind of suits me, you know, too. And the I love that lap of the Gap one too. It's another nice marathon. Um. And then the Eco Trails Fog too, like I, I like that distance too, the 80k, like that 100 and whatever it was last week. So we that we bit extra, you know, when you're through the night and all. But the 80k is kind of a nice distance. It's a great event, like it's real scenic too. Like I did that Eco Trail in Paris there, and it was like mostly forest. It's kind of all the same thing, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it was nice and all, but I was like, well, it's more forest. I kind of <laughs> felt like I was going around in circles. But the Eco Trail Bike Club is pretty really, you know, it's, yeah. it's really, it's a lovely event, like, yeah, but. Sure, and you know, so we're getting to the end of 2021 now. I think you mentioned that the Wicklow Way was your last race. Um, for 2022, Julie, do you, do you have anything lined up yet, or, or do you need to sit down with with Coach Renee Borg as, and, and have a think about um next year? Uh, I have a good lot now. Um, I have the done a day in February. So that's the next one. And um, what else then? Um. Yeah, uh, what else have I got next year? Oh, yeah, I've got the Lap of the Gap again and, uh, in May, and then there's the Stunnigal Wine Atlantic in June, and then I have the Lake District, all, like the Lakeland 100, I've been taking for that in July, and then maybe I'll see if I can get the UTMB, I don't know. Um, 
But yeah, I've got plenty there, and we'll just see what else comes up. But that's kind of plenty for now, and I probably like to do the. Wouldn't be surprised if you do them all, Julie, and you get through them all in flying colours. Yeah, I'll see how it goes. Like, and then, um, yeah. So then, I suppose maybe if Dublin, maybe Dublin as well, and then Lady Patrol, like, no probably. So yeah, those plenty. Yeah, I'll just see how it goes. Like. Mm. And with all the podiums and all the great results, Julie, that you've had over the last couple of years, um, th- the last question that I was going to ask you was, would you like to try and go for an Irish team over the next year or two? Because, you know, you're, you're up there in the top three in every race. There's the Trail World Championships, the Mountain Running World Championships. Is that something that has ever crossed your mind um, to, to represent Ireland in an international trail running or ultra running um, championship? I suppose if the opportunity came up, you know, I'm all for trying, you know, for for the experience. Like if it was if it was to come up, definitely, yeah, I'd be up for it. You know, I suppose just tough to see what see how it goes or see who else is interested. Or again, you know, I'm not, not I would there's a lot of faster runners out there than me, you know, but yeah, see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised you to see in, in a green jersey over the next year or two. I mean, if you keep that trajectory going that you've had over the last couple of years, or just as we said, every race, boom, podium, podium, podium. Um, I'm sure you you would you would run very very well with a green vest on you. But well, you listen, thanks a million for talking to us this evening. It's been great to to talk to you. You know, I've been following your results over the last couple of years, and um, it, it's wonderful to see. And I said always with a smile on your face, and any photograph that you see if you're running um, so maybe just to close off Julie any any final tip for the listeners that are listening in that 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 you know dream of being on podiums like you've been on the last couple of years a, a final tip to close off the show for today Jeez, I don't know I suppose the main thing is that you're enjoying it you know and you know you yeah. want to do it like that's the thing if you want to do it then you will do it like if you put your mind to it and put the practice in and that there's no reason why you can't do it if you make your mind up you know I think yeah well I think you've showed the the determination that you have with you know getting through 127k races and the rest um like the 24-hour event that you mentioned as well so Julie it's been a real pleasure thanks a million for joining us today and Julie best of luck over the next 12 months and uh you know looking forward to seeing what more results you can achieve Oh, thanks a million for having me on. Like, I love listening to the show, so it's really great to be a guest on it. Um, no. I hope I sound all right. <laughs> oh, no, Julie. And I said, Coach Rennie, I'm sure, is super proud um, as well of all those results over the last couple of years. So uh, we'll see what he has in store for you over the next couple of weeks. A couple of easy weeks, I'm sure. Ah, uh, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, but it's me now that's making it up this week, and I'm probably doing far too much. But anyway, I might take it to you next week. <laughs> okay. All right, Julie. So take care, right. and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a million. Thank you. Cheers.
And that's a wrap for this week, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with one of the strongest physically and mentally runners on the trail running, mental running scene in Ireland at the moment. Judy McNamee, great to have you on board with us this week, Judy. Uh, quick mention before we go to watch out for the documentary on News Talk next Saturday at 7am on the Wicklow Way made by Kieran Ryan, who talks to some of the tremendous trail runners who have attempted one of the great trail running challenges in Ireland, the grueling 110 kilometers and more, the self-navigated challenge to 26 summits in the Wicklow Mountains. So at 7 a.m. on News Talk this Saturday morning. And then if you don't get it on Saturday morning, you can get it on all the usual podcast places where you get your podcasts too. Good luck as well to the Irish team in the World Mountain Running Association's Nation Cup in Italy this weekend as well. They have a 19 kilometer race to look forward to over the weekend. So great to see Team Ireland back in action as well. I think there's about 15 countries or so competing in that this weekend. And well done as well to Rory Long, Matthew McConnell and Barry McAvoy who represented Ireland in the very prestigious and classic Trofeo Vanoni in Italy last weekend. I think there was over 120 teams that took part in the relay race. Um, a fantastic mountain running race that goes back so many years and they came 23rd out of 120 teams and Harriet Robinson was there flying the flag in the ladies race as well. So well done to the team there and good luck to the Irish international team in the Nations Cup this weekend as well. So guys, that's a wrap for this week. A big shout out again to all of our Patreons. Thanks a million for supporting our show. And if you would like to help us out, you can get more information on patreon.com Trail Running Ireland podcast. Guys, have a great week's training. Enjoy all those miles. Enjoy all those mountains. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Everybody, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.